You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone. Welcome to episode 261 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? I'm fair to middling for the start okay. of December. Awesome. Fair to mm. middling. Mm. <laughs> Hashtag fair to fair middling. To middling. Um, you know, ordering what, hams, preparing for Christmas, all that kind of stuff. Are you going to cook the ham? Yeah, I always cook the ham. But we oh. have this conversation every year and you go, oh, my God, I can't believe you're cooking a ham. <laughs> And I go, yeah, I'm doing it again, Val. <laughs> I would not know what to do. Just would not even know where to start. I don't even know where to order ham. Where do you buy ham? Well, you're a very lucky person that you've never had to think about where the ham comes from, Val. I would personally like to turn up every year and not yes. have to think about the ham, but that is yes. not my role here. Uh, I don't even <sighs> like ham. I mean, I'll eat it, but it's not You don't like the choice. Christmas ham? I I don't yeah I actually do like the Christmas ham if it's got the right glazing, um, mm. but uh, for many years because I was scarred as a child because I um, my dad made ham sandwiches like just pressed ham every single day of my life for right. my entire school career right. and he would um, do an assembly line at the start of every month of the tip top bread because our neighbour worked for tip top. And tip top bread, and it was you know that white bread, and mm. um he would assembly line all of the bread on the kitchen bench, and then take a knife and do butter 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 like thirty of them, or really sixty of them I suppose. Put the ham 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 ham, then put all the top level bread on the you know the 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 second piece of bread on, cut them into squares, put them all in a plastic bag as in in their individual plastic bags and then put them all back into the tip top loaf bag (laughs) so that they were all contained in there and put them all in the freezer and every day he would reach in put one in my school bag and hope it would defrost by lunch and that's why I don't it's not the ham's fault We've talked about this. I or I have just have a major aversion to frozen bread because of yes. that situation. But mine uh-huh. was not ham. Mine was peanut butter and Vegemite and stuff. But yeah, I I will not freeze bread ever. No, due to that. Oh, um, no. but yeah. So you can't blame the poor innocent ham. I guess true. Okay, fine. Anyway, enough really? about ham. Let's yeah. move on to our links this week. Uh, we have a link about the Newcastle Short Story Award, don't we? We do. It's open. It's open yes. for entries, people. The 2019 Newcastle Short Story Award is open um, and it's got more than $6,000 in prizes That's with so the good. winner, the winner gets three grand for a short Love story, it. a short story of up to 2,000 words. That's like no a theme. fifty a word. No theme. 
And one of the judges of the 2019 award is the fantastic Annabelle Smith, who is, of course, our creative writing presenter in Perth. That's so, right. you know, we're, we've got skin in this game, people. Yes. We do. Um, which is really exciting. So um, we just wanted to, do, like, let you know it's open. Uh, we've got a link in the show notes where the details are. And if you want to have a quick look at it, because it doesn't actually close until February, the 4th yes. of February. So you can start now. Like Get you writing. Can start writing your piece now and it would be ready by the 4th of February, no doubt. Um, but, yeah, first prize is $3,000, second is $1,700, third prize is $1,000, and there's an entry fee of $16.50 per story. So there you yeah. go. Go for it. Good mm, luck, everyone. Go You've got plenty of time. And also, this is the time of year, December, where we start thinking about next year, well, some of us start thinking about next year, and start doing some planning. So you have an interesting link for us on planning, don't you? Well, it was just more of a just more of a thought process starter for everybody. So C.S. Lakin, who writes the blog Live Right Thrive, LiveRightThrive.com, uh, wrote a post about you know the fact that it's 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 time for strategic planning because I think for authors because I think sometimes what happens is people worry about next year in January mm. when in actual fact maybe the time to start thinking about what you want to achieve next year what you want to do next year um, is is now it's, oh, it's before sure. Christmas you know put it into the things I must do before I buy the ham you know kind of situation um because it's a good idea to because that way you'll know when you jump off in January you know what direction to jump like it'll just give you that sort of an idea of what you might do so do you do strategic planning do you actually you know do you do it Val do you sit down and go in 2019 I am going to blah blah Yes, even actually, we had a day of strategic planning just last week. So um, that so that was, you know, just the end of November, the, the last day of November we did it. And we um, had a day of strategic planning on the stuff that we wanted to achieve in 2019 with particular emphasis on the first six months. Um, I am told by some people, but I've never done this myself, is that if you haven't started planning the following year by October, then you're leaving it too late. You should have Goodness. already got your plans in place by October. Wow. Several people have told me that, but I must admit I've never done that. No. Um, so even November, the end of November was kind of um, like I feel very proud of myself that I've done that. Usually for me, since that is for sort of more professional level, um, for my professional activities, however, with the personal stuff, I usually think to myself that I'm going to do it in the period between Christmas and New Year and um, it's kind of a frustrating time to do it because I get all these plans and ideas and I think oh, I'll do this, I'll do that, I'll do that and and you start researching them and you want to call people up to ask questions or buy stuff or enroll in something or I don't know, whatever, and no one's around. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Everyone's on a beach so, somewhere. Yeah. So it's kind of good but it's frustrating because you want to – you suddenly get excited but then you can't move forward because you, you know, you're meant to be lying on a beach somewhere yourself. 
So, um, yeah, I, I tend to do my personal planning in the period between Christmas and year, and that's when I get all motivated. I get out my text, coloured textures and I draw all over blank notebooks and stuff like that. And it's interesting to look back on them just to see what you were really optimistic and hopeful about, you know, sort of some months later. When do you those do tattered, your planning? Those tattered dreams. <laughs> exercise three times a week (laughs) do I do you know I don't even know if I do Val I don't know if I do planning I mean I guess I guess you do do I I mean I've got things planned I've got things in it you know there's things there because you know I know that I'm going to x number of festivals and I'm doing x Mm. number of things and I've got book week you know obviously locked in and um you know, on a personal level, we'll, you know, hopefully go overseas again next year. So there's kind of that stuff. But from an actual, like at the moment, my only plan as far as my, you know, author life goes is to finish finish what I'm working on. Yes. <laughs> because that's kind of what I have to do before I can do anything else. So I'm a do bit Do you mean that. the manuscript you did in NaNoWriMo? The one I've been working on for NaNoWriMo, yeah. yeah. Like I just, I've got to get it, you know, ship shape so that I can um, – you know, send it out or do whatever I'm going to do with it. I also have a couple of other manuscripts that I need to, you know, I've, that I need to um, do some work on. I've just, I've got a lot of stuff from to, from this year, 2018, that's that's almost but not quite there. And I so I need to, that's, you know, that would be pretty much my only goal for 2019 at the moment is just to get all of that hard work that I've done in 2018 into a into something that I can actually do something with. So my question with that is you know that there are certain things that you need to do, like yeah. polish the the manuscript you did in NaNoWriMo and other manuscripts. Do you kind of go, all right, I'm going to do that one in January, February. I'm going to do that one. I'm going to focus on that one in March. I'm going to fo- focus on – then I'm busy in April and I'm, then I'm going to focus on that one in May. Do you do something so that there's a some kind of structure or deadline, even if it's just an internal deadline, that you reward yourself with Bonoffi or whatever – like what is that that kind of plan well not really like it's a, a, I kind of have a, va- a vague rolling I have a vague rolling plan of I'm going to be do this one and then I'm going to do that one I don't actually put months on them because I also have another project that I have to start from scratch um so yeah I, it's with me it's really and then I've got you know I've got other people's lives to manage as well so with me, it's very much a case of what, okay, this I'm doing, I'm focused on this right now. I'm going to get to the end of that. I don't do Bonoffi. For me, finishing <laughs> is the reward. I just finish and I go, yay, move on to the next thing. You don't reward um, yourself with something. Even, I mean, obviously I know you don't like Bonoffi because you don't like bananas, but something else? Not really. Surely. No, it's just not, it's not how I work. I don't, I don't work, I don't work for rewards. It's not how I work. Oh gosh! I just work for the satisfaction of getting it finished. I'm really oh. very focused on just the that's done, brilliant. Oh. That I don't have to think about it anymore. That's reward enough for me. I don't have to really? think about it anymore. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it kind of is. It really is. Um, so yeah, I I I don't. Yeah, I'm, I look. I'm really not very good with this. It, it's this is a little bit like planning manuscripts. I don't do that either. So I'm really not very useful to you from this perspective. Yes, yes. I think that what um, if you do need to get stuff done by certain deadlines or, or even if they're internal deadlines, one way to do it also is to promise it to someone. So yes. even if you, the level of planning is only you've promised it to someone to read by January or whatever, um, 
uh, that can give you know you some structure as well. Mm. All right. Oh, okay. Cool. Anyway, that's a, there's an interesting link on planning, um, and uh, it's on live right thrive and we'll put the link in the show notes and of course you can find the show notes at so you want to be a writer.com.au now it's furious fiction friday this week if you're keen to have a creative weekend of writing make sure you check out the criteria for the december competition at 5 p.m on friday the smart cookies get the challenge sent straight into their inbox. So just join the Furious Fiction fan club if you want to be notified as soon as the comp opens. So you'll get an email as soon as the comp opens. And uh, this month's one is going to be a cracker. Remember, with Furious Fiction, you have 55 hours to write a 500-word story for the chance to win $500. Lots of fun and a brilliant way to exercise your writing muscles. So just go to furiousfiction.com.au. Now, our comp this week, we have a huge stash of books to give away to one lucky winner. So you can start off 2019 with a fab stack of things to read. The pack of 12 books includes contemporary fiction, thrillers, page-turning true stories, children's books, and more. So enter for your chance to score some exciting new additions to your bookshelf or to use as, you know, gifts for people. Um, Mm. Entries close on 31 December. So just go to writerscentercomau slash win if you want your chance to enter. So now, Al, Mm. are are you ready for the word of the week? I'm very, very ready, Val. I'm trying to new approach. Do you like it? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> so, subfusk. Subfusk. Sounds like a swear word. Yeah. Okay, so sub, S-U-B, fusk, F-U-S-C, subfusk. So, when I first read it, it kind of looked like me, like it could be a pink submarine because there it was looked like sub and then fuchsia, but it's not. It actually means a dark and somber hue. So you might say the house's subfisk decor was depressing. Subfisk. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Okay. You're excited. I can tell. I don't have a lot I to know. say about that one. I'm sorry. It's, yeah, it's, okay. I can't imagine ever using that. But if anyone else out there has ever used that in a sentence, please <laughs> share it with us. Let us know. Okay, Alison wasn't excited by my word of week this week. That's no. fine. So if we're going to. <laughs> you might need to get your excitement elsewhere sometimes because I just I can't even summon up a che- oh well I can't even summons up a cheer for that one I'm sorry but you know what someone out what? there might be just going oh my god that's amazing oh my god okay um <laughs> I'm a tough audience <laughs> I reckon you're worse than year nine <laughs> um all right so our writer in residence this week is Alice Pung Alice is an award-winning writer editor teacher and lawyer based in Melbourne, and along with Unpolished Gem, she's the author of Her Father's Daughter and On John Marsden, and the editor of a couple of anthologies. One is Growing Up Asian in Australia and My First Lesson. So she's already written a novel called Lorinda, which won the Ethel Turner Prize at the New South Wales Premier Literary Awards, and has recently released some selected writings called Close to Home. So let's have a chat to Alice. Thanks for joining us today, Alice. 
Thanks for having me, Valerie. All right. Now, your latest book, Close to Home, for those readers who haven't got their hands on it yet, can you tell us what it's about? Sure. So Close to Home is a collection of my nonfiction writing. I think it spans around 15 years from my very first published piece in the year, I think it was 2000, 2001, till um, a piece I wrote recently just this year. And so what made you decide to compile a collection of your writing? Oh, Valerie, it wasn't my decision, actually. (laughs) So last year, my editor, um, Chris Fike, who's been with me since my very first um, book, actually, he emailed me and said, oh, I think you've got enough stories for a collection. And I, well, firstly, I think the first thing, I felt was embarrassment because I, I'd only recently read some great anthologies, um, including Helen Garner's latest collection, mm-hmm. Everywhere I Look. And I emailed Chris back saying, I, I don't think I'm at the stage in my career where I, sh-, you know, because <laughs> Helen Garner has anthologies, not um, <laughs> quite, quite younger authors. But he said that I'd written quite a bit for the monthly magazine. And so he and Julia from Black Ink said, let us put together you know, make a list of all the things that you've published and see how you feel about it. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I didn't realise I'd written so much over the years. So this is Julia and Chris's doing. Um, I, I can't take much credit for the great way they've put it together. <laughs> yeah. And did you curate it in the order in which it has appeared? And then did you subsequently, uh, you know, write some new material that was specifically for the book? Oh, Valerie, it's a great question because I, I was very lucky to have Julie and Chris curate the, the entire project. I wouldn't know how to put my writing together because <laughs> I'm too close to it. Mm. So the things that really embarrass me, um, I, I might have left out some stories that other people might have felt interesting just personally. You grow as a writer over 15 years. So it was um, I would have curated a very different and probably very inferior book Um so I didn't curate it, but I did write one new piece for it because um, in the last section, to put it all together, because when, when I read the manuscript about, mm. you know, about a month before it got published, <laughs> I thought, oh, gosh, I didn't realise that the things I'd been writing had been telling a sort of narrative or trajectory of my life for the past 15 years. Mm. So there was one piece missing that I filled in the gap and that was it. Great. And so can you tell us, and I'm, and by the way, I'm sure you're selling yourself a bit short, Alice, by saying that you would have done an inferior job because, you know, you're an award-winning writer, you've um, had so much experience. When did you decide that you wanted to write? Like, was it something that you always loved when you were at school or when did it develop? Oh, I always enjoyed writing. Um, the the necessity of writing I think developed early not because I had a dream to be an author or anything but because I was growing up um, in Braybrook and we didn't have Facebook and you know I'm the oldest and with a lot of refugee families the oldest looks after the younger kids and I was really frustrated really really frustrated I'd go to shopping centers and uh, people would give me funny looks uh, dirty looks like I was a teen mum when I was just the older sibling looking <laughs> after the younger ones. And, you know, I, I read a book called The Feminine Mystique um, written in the 1950s about housewives 
how they were all on Valium because they're really depressed. And as a teenager, I thought, I, I get this. Um, I, I wrote a lot of our frustration, actually. <laughs> and it was, a, it was quite a therapeutic thing. Uh, it was a wonderful thing because I, I didn't take it out on my younger siblings. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was a way of, um, uh, what do you call it? It was therapeutic <laughs> before right. Facebook. Yeah. So you mean Facebook has taken its place? <laughs> no, I'm I'm barely on Facebook actually. Mm. I guess what I'm saying is today, you know, if I had Facebook back then, I could have just written, oh, I had to change my sister Lena's nappy seven times today. I'm so angry, and I would have got 17 people like or you know do the sympathetic crying face. Yeah. And I wouldn't have felt so alone. But when you're in this concrete house by yourself as a teenager yeah. with um lots of kids. You, you really feel quite alone. Yeah, so writing yeah. was a way to make me feel better, not to make anyone else feel anything. <laughs> wow. And so did you have influential people at school or teachers or, or authors that you that that impacted that influenced the fact that you wanted to write? Oh, I did in primary school. I had this emergency teacher named Mr. Galloway who would only come every two or three months and he didn't even know my name. He called me Elizabeth, but he <laughs> always said, oh, are you writing, Elizabeth? You're going to burn a hole through the page. you know." Wow. And um, so, so if someone had said to me back then, oh, you're so great at maths, maybe I would have gone in a different field. But I remember him so well. And then um, my first author visit was an author named Arnold Zabel, Mm. Um, who you might know, might have interviewed. He spoke to our school when I was 16 and he was so honest and such a wonderful storyteller. And he did tell us that writing didn't pay very much, but it was his life. And sometimes you'll see people reading the age and putting their coffee cup on his article, (laughs) you Mm. know, (laughs) leaving a mark. But, and, and I really, really thought this, this man is an extraordinary storyteller and it was the first author I'd ever met. Yeah. Wow. And so you were born in Australia, in Victoria, um, yep. and but your parents migrated here or they were refugees here from Cambodia. Um, and a lot of the stuff that you've written, and you've, you've written a lot of memoir, uh, has centred around that that experience or the, or the fact that um, that you have that Cambodian background and, and, and how that's played out. Why? Do you want to write about that? Oh, um, I think it's the material I know best. Uh, you know, I, I didn't start off when I wrote my memoir and my nonfiction pieces. I didn't start off thinking that I had something very specific to say. Um, mm. I didn't start off politically, which is what I'm saying. <laughs> mm. I didn't have, I, I didn't even have a clear understanding of politics at 20 when I started writing my family stories. I just thought that that was the the material I knew well. And in fact, in my first creative writing class at university, I felt um, intimidated. People had been overseas. They had life experience. We had an older mother. And I started just writing about my family and people seemed to find that funny and, you know, interesting. So that's how I continued. Mm. And so you... um... You recently had a baby, your second baby, and we might even hear him gurgling in the background in 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 this, oh, in this episode. He's asleep now. Oh, yeah. um, but apart from that, when you're not and you know <laughs> nursing a, a brand new baby, that baby, you have a uh, full time job. Is that right? Or you, 
or a part-time job? Oh, it used to be full-time, Bella. It's now three days a week. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm on maternity leave at the moment, sure. but it is usually three days a week at the Fair Work Commission. Yeah. Where you work as a lawyer? Uh, a legal researcher now. Legal researcher. So I've been doing that for over 10 years. Yeah, right. So you combine that with writing, right? Yeah, yeah, I do. And so what... Um, proportion so do you how disciplined are you on the days that you're not doing that how disciplined are you in um, you know being committed to your writing and what sort of you know goals do you have you know in in terms of of using that time do you aim to get certain number of things published per quarter or you know how does it work so that you have a forward momentum and that you're not wasting those two days kind of thing Oh, <laughs> that's an excellent question because mm-hmm. on those two days I have my two boys with me. So one mm-hmm. is three and a half and one at the moment is a newborn. So in between time, which is um, very scarce actually at the <laughs> moment, I don't have a, a goal. I don't think every quarter I should publish this amount of articles. I always say yes to um, to commissions or to people who ask me to do work. But I do have long-term projects. So at the moment, I'm working on a young adult book and uh, I have wonderful publishers. So they let me take my time. So I take, I set personal goals, of course. I say, oh, maybe in two years, I'll have a first draft or something. So I don't have very uh, specific, you know, Mm. 500 words a day goals, but long-term goals I do. Sure. You do write a lot of memoir and it's a balancing act when you are when anyone writes memoir to make sure that you're telling your story obviously truthfully and authentically but in a way that's you know really engaging because obviously sometimes what's engaging to us and our family isn't necessarily engaging to other people. That's so true. Yes. <laughs> so how do you make what kind of criteria do you have or how do you determine, you know what, I've gone too far in that direction or ha- what sort of rules do you have for yourself when you're writing memoir? Oh, um, look, I have rules in in regards to um, the stuff I write not hurting other people. Um, right, sure. For instance, years and years ago, my sister's guinea pig died and she was a lot younger mm. and... Um, I thought I'd write about that as part of something else, you know. And she said, I don't want you to write about the death of my guinea pig, which is something really uh, yeah, <laughs> small, but it was it was her first death. Yeah. Oh, sure, <laughs> you know, this is coming from someone who writes about genocide in Cambodia. And I stopped and I thought, I, I can't write about my sister. I don't have permission from her. She may be a minor. She may be 12 or something. So so these are the rules. If people don't want me to write about them, I don't. Mm. Um in terms of my own life, I uh, I don't write about things that I don't think are insignificant just to um, get laughs or, you know, <laughs> that mm. I think might be of cultural interest to other people because uh, I'm more about I, – I write to get to the emotional heartbeat of a situation or mm. a circumstance. So, um, yeah, I guess those are my – unspoken rules Mm-mm. you made reference to uh, genocide in Cambodia and um, obviously your parents left Cambodia during a difficult period um, at what age were you when you started to understand what they actually went through and how did that affect you growing up in you know beautiful safe suburban lovely Victoria 
Oh, oh. Um, so I've always grown up knowing that my parents survived war, mm. even from like, from the youngest age possible. They would say things over the dinner table, not to shock, but it was part of their conversation because it was part of their life, mm. just as people who grew up in the 70s in Australia talk about their first, you know, ABBA concert or something. <laughs> my parents would occasionally say, oh, I remember Needle. She was so clever with a sewing machine. Mm. Too bad they smashed her. Yeah, and these mm. are people I never meet. Mm. And so we grew up knowing that there were these bad guys called the Black Bandits, which were what my parents called the Khmer Rouge, mm. and that they killed people in all sorts of different ghastly ways. Um, but we also watched a lot of martial arts movies. So we, we sort of, we, we could see <laughs> that violence was part of my parents' um, you know, wartime experience. I think it really hit me when I was 16 and 17 mm. when you do history projects and you have to interview your relatives. Oh. And that was when my dad told me what happened in Cambodia. And um, I lost a lot of sleep then. I, I thought, wow, mm. I can't believe I have these parents. They're, yes. They're not abusive. They're very loving. They're funny as. Um, <laughs> and they survived this, you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And... Um, have you been? Have you spent much time in Cambodia since you weren't born there? Oh, not very much, Valerie. My mm -hmm. father always prevented us from going there. Mm. He said you can visit anywhere in the world, but there. But then I had to finish a book um, when I was twenty-nine, and I asked him if he could come with me to Cambodia. So we spent about two weeks there. So that was the first and only time I've been there. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um. And so with what you're doing now. What's your plan? Is the plan to continue working part-time in legal research and writing on the side? or what's the, And what's the next kind of big project that you want to take on? Oh, well, I, yeah, I do always want to work part-time because mm -hmm. I, I find um, I've never been a full-time writer. And even when I've gone away on residencies, just spending seven days a week writing, it doesn't bore me or anything, mm. but it feels really selfish. And, really? Um, I don't think I could do it. Yeah, <sighs> yeah. I, I guess um, I, I don't know. It feels really insular and I get worried and anxious about what people think of my writing. So having a three days a week job where I don't concentrate on myself and I concentrate on solving other problems yes. really helps me as a writer. It makes the writing lighter if that makes sense. Mm. Not lighter as in diluted, but it mm. makes it uh, not all about my ego <laughs> and how I would feel if someone gave me a bad review or if the book didn't do well because it also right. provides a separate income from the writing. So it makes it freer. Yes, um, yes. Yeah. Now, if you did yeah, have a I, project, sorry, sorry no, yeah. you, you continue, please. Oh, no, you go. I forgot. <laughs> if you do have a project, like you said, like, you know, I'll deliver this manuscript in two years or whatever, even if it's like a vague yeah. future yeah. Um, deadline, how do you then structure that to make sure that it happens? You must have some kind of, you know, process or, or timelines or, or something to, to make sure that you do deliver that manuscript in two years or you can't write it in all, all in the final week <laughs> oh no no you can't so it, so for exa example I have I'm working on a young adult book which, mm. which is taking about two years and I did say I'd deliver it hopefully by the end of this year is that fiction um I yeah it's a fiction yeah um so 
how do I do that? I, I don't know, Valerie. I have a hunch that I'd get, I'll get it done. And usually it does get done <laughs> within the time. So I maybe a few months, you know, earlier or later, but things eventually get done. I Lucky I don't have pushy publishers or a pushy agent saying you have to deliver a book every two years mm. or, or whatever. Yeah. Do you have a... Um... Uh, do you carve out a specific time, like, you know, Sunday afternoon I'm just going to write or do you, do you have any of those sorts of parameters? No, I don't. But you're right. When I do have a deadline, um, I'm very lucky. I have a very supportive husband who will take my um, my son back then. There was only one hmm. out for, for half an afternoon so I can work on a Saturday morning or things like that. Um, and my son, when he's in childcare, hmm. uh, I, I get to write, well, I was working at the Fair Work Commission, but I'm on maternity leave, so I, I do get some time to write when he's in childcare because a baby sleeps quite a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, always handy. Yeah. What's the most enjoyable thing about writing? And currently, because you do write a lot of nonfiction, but now you're writing this young adult fiction, which do you prefer? Oh, I think the most enjoyable thing about writing is I write to figure out things I don't understand myself and um, mm. I, I think one of my favorite writers John Marston also does exactly the same thing he, he said exactly the same thing actually mm. um, and I never put it in so many words until I read something where he said I write to you know to try and understand things I don't get so I never really have an answer when I start to write and it's discovering by the end of what you've written that you, you don't really have a complete answer but you're closer um, to, to some realisation than you were before. Mm. What's uh, an example, and, before we move on to the, that other question, but what's an example of something that you figured out as a result of writing? Oh, okay. So um, about three and a half years ago, I was, you know, when I had my first baby, I was really dreading my my parents coming to visit because uh, <laughs> they're, they're, you know, overly anxious, overly protective Um and they have this idea that uh, a woman who gives birth, they have to spend a month in confinement. Mm, yeah. uh, read about it. You know, you yep. don't take showers for a whole month. Yeah, nuts. Right. Oh, no, they're going to enforce that on me. <laughs> and um, they didn't because my baby was born premature. So it meant that <laughs> I, I got, uh, got out of hospital before my son did. I wasn't really worried because the hospital took good care of him. Mm-hmm. But I wasn't confined because I had to walk to and from hospital every day. Yeah. And what I discovered was that my mother was, um, she was wonderful. And even though I scoffed at this practice, you know, she made all this food. She said, this will warm the blood. This will help produce breast milk. This will do this and that. And I thought, oh, that's just, you know, <laughs> superstitious. <laughs> and it actually worked. Um, <laughs> and then I thought, oh, she she actually even being illiterate, not being able to read labels on food packets, she knows much more about natural things, childbirth, mm. you know, intuitively how to look after a child than I do with all my book learning and you know, all my writing. Mm. Yeah. And you wrote about that? Yeah, yeah, I did. <laughs> mm. um, and so, let, yeah, let's move on to do you prefer fiction or nonfiction when you're writing? Oh, I, I do both and I do them mm. both at the same time. I might be writing a non-fiction article and then working on this young adult book that's fictional at the same time. But which is more enjoyable? Which is more enjoyable? 
Oh, they both are for different reasons. Mm-hmm. Um, the challenge with writing nonfiction is to make it interesting, it has to read like fiction. Otherwise, mm. it just reads like a history book or, yep. you know, reporting to facts. And with fiction, the challenge is, because I can't make up science fiction or fantasy, to make it sound like it's non-fiction, to make mm-hmm. these characters sound like they could actually exist. <sighs> so there's a paradox there. <laughs> I love that, uh, that observation. That's great. Okay. Oh, thanks. <laughs> um, and what do you find the hardest thing about writing or the most challenging thing about writing? Oh, just writing about people I know and people I love. Mm. Um, that, that's really difficult because you want to portray them in as accurate a way as possible, mm. but you don't want to um, lionize them or you, you don't want to demonize them. Uh, people you love are the most interesting people to write about because there's that, you know, conflicting emotion there. So mm. I think that's the most challenging thing about writing. Okay. And what is the most rewarding thing? Um, besides writing itself, I get a lot of letters from young adults, um, usually female from, you know, all, all demographics and all nationalities saying that what I've written, um, and sometimes I don't even know, you know, that they can really identify with. Mm. Fair enough. And what would be your top three tips for aspiring writers who hope to be doing what you are one day? Oh, top three tips. Mm. Um, I think the first one is, is the Nike slogan, just do it. There's a lot of people <laughs> who <laughs> they, they talk about it a lot, but they don't really sit down and do it. So you've just got to sit down and do it. Yeah. I think the second tip is not to edit or not to show anyone unless you really trust them until you have a first draft. Because mm. if you show the wrong person, mm. you could get easily discouraged. It's a very fragile time when you're writing your first draft as a first-time writer. Mm. And the third tip, um, it's not the opposite of the second tip, is that there's a big writing community out there, a, a huge writing community. So you're not really alone. You can get tips and advice from other writers, from Facebook groups and things like that. So you don't feel so isolated. Mm, wonderful great advice and on that note thank you so much for your time today Alice thanks so much for having me Valerie this podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers Centre a world leader in writing courses if you want to be a freelance writer our five-week course in freelance writing stage one is the fastest way to get there Step by step, you'll explore how to get story ideas, approach editors, research and structure your article, plus interview skills, industry expectations and much more. You'll enjoy the convenience of learning online in just a couple of hours a week and have your own tutor to answer all your questions. Find out more at writerscentre.com.au slash freelance. There you go, Alice Pung. Yeah, really interesting, you know, because um, I'm actually only fam- – I'm not really familiar with her nonfiction work. I'm um, more familiar with her fiction because Lorinda was one of the books that my – when I used to run the Pink Fibro Book Club a few years ago, it was one of our books of the month and cool. it was we, – we all read it and, uh, you know, it was discussed at length, uh, obviously. Um, and it was actually really good. I really enjoyed it and it was very much well-received by the community. Like they, awesome. they – the book club 
really enjoyed it as well. It was one of those books that was, you know, because the trouble with a book club, you know, is that whatever you put up there, someone's going to hate it, right? Um, <laughs> and it was often like 50-50, like with the, with the choices, but that particular choice was actually quite, you know, was a majority great read. So there you go. Awesome. Really good writer. Okay, fantastic. So what are you doing in the coming week, Al? Uh, what am I doing? Good question. I, well, writing stuff, I don't know, stuff. Stuff. Okay. I'm doing stuff. I'm doing, I'm trying to, I've got the, you know, the dreaded school holidays looming. Yeah. And so I'm just trying to, I really want to get this thing I'm working on done and to a point where I can put it aside for a few weeks while I buy the Christmas ham and, yes. um, and do all that sort of stuff and then get back to it in January with a real, you know, proper solid rewrite on it. So that's, that's kind of where I'm up to at the moment. Cool. Hmm. Um, I will be. I'm. I've only got a few days left in that course that I'm doing, and then we're going to have a little party. I'm going to bring. I don't know. Food, champagne, whatever you bring to these end of year celebrations, and then I will have a diploma. Yeah, that's weird. Speaking <laughs> of parties, I'm actually coming to Sydney to go to a party with you. Yes, that's going to be forgotten. Yes, that's any minute awesome. now. Yes, yeah, looking forward to it. <laughs> All right. Uh, where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and at ValerieKoo.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. 